my boy. That's pure speculation. One would wonder. One would wonder. This is a uh, rogue philosopher speculates. I'm going to try to do this in 20 to 30 minute uh, blocks. The topics I want to go into now might be beyond me. I've got a bunch of books, but I haven't read them because I kind of want to argue this to see how well I can argue it based on my own knowledge. And maybe I can't, so we'll see. If, and maybe that'll be more fun uh, if I open things up a little and I'm a little more willing to be wrong. Just what the hell? I mean, why not? You know? Um and then, two, one has a, a way to look back, and you have a yardstick. You can kind of measure, well, how far have you gone? Where did you originate, and where are you now? Uh, and I could read these these books and try to understand them, and I'm not, I don't think I'm capable of understanding the mathematics or the physics behind this stuff, but I'm capable of understanding the, the philosophy and can give a speculative examination of this. I'm going to try to use uh, philosophical constructs as we go along. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 speculation. It's just a little bullshitting, but it's based on I'm basing my arguments on sound principles of logic, and hopefully, I can succeed at doing this. And if not, that'd be almost as much fun as succeeding. I mean, so we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, I just want to do very very quickly. I'm never talking about politics on this podcast, or very, very rarely, but we're, we're in some dark days, the, the closing, and we're recording this at, during the hours, the closing hours of the Trumpocracy. Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on at this moment, with COVID, with, with violence, uh, the, the government is screwing things up, they're screwing out the rollout, okay, and these things are terrible, so I'm not trying to be a false optimist when I say that if we can just get through these next few weeks or months and just be careful with ourselves and isolate as much as feasible uh, in the end it's going to be alright there are three vaccines now in existence and soon there'll be four and eventually <clears throat> we'll get through the worst that this has to offer and we'll be better off for it. I'm not minimizing how sick people are now. It's tragic. Some of the stuff that's happening is tragic because it's it. These are man-made problems now, and by far this will be the hardest time because we're going to see all of the idiocy uh, and incompetence of how they roll the vaccine out, how they distribute the vaccine, of blah 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 blah, how they store it, how they transport it, how they move it, how they. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna find some disappointing things are going to happen, and sadder still, there 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 are going to be people who will die from this who shouldn't and that it's 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 tragic but we're so close to the other side now and it's it's i'm not trying to mouth a cliche when i say this but it it this is the darkness the darkest it's going to be before the dawn of of a new beginning i hope and as i've said a year ago i think we're going to be all right most people are going to be okay when this crisis lifts and the clouds blow away I mean, the world's never going to go back to what it was before 2020, which was a horrible year. But the world will resume something approximating stability and normality, and we'll have another chance to try to get it better this time around. And maybe we can, maybe we can't, I, I don't know. But uh, if we get through this very dark, you know, darkest before the dawn. I think it'll be about a, a six-week to two-month sojourn to get through this. But January, February, March, I think by spring, by spring, the worst will be well behind us and falling away. And and we'll be all right. Uh, I don't know how comforting that is to you, but it, at least it, it gives a duration. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And we're going to pull through this as a as a nation we're going to pull through it as a global species on the planet we're going to we're going to be okay in the end we'll be all right but hopefully we've learned from this um because now it's it's anything now that happens it's not a direct result of the virus it's a result of of human incompetence or or human reaction that's that's credible and tangible and well engineered uh it's all on us now we have the vaccine 
what happens now is on us. The, 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 the disease is reaching the limits of what it can do on its own to us as a natural phenomenon. Now it's all human. So, in any case, I just I I felt I needed to say something because the times are so dark. But by the time you're hearing this, there's a lag time. But you'll remember where we are, and and it's unforgettably dark and bleak. But we're through it. I mean, even as you listen to this, you can look back over this and say, "Well, the worst is behind us now, as far as these global events." And and we pull through it. So my goal is to in some ways, offer a place where one can go that's not full of such darkness and terror and, and uncertainty. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. Philosophy is not necessarily to connote the possession or, or the, of wisdom. It's the acquisition for the love of wisdom. And, uh, you know, so philosophy, there's a lot that it can't do. There's a lot that it can, but there, it has limits on what it can do. Uh, a lot of the stuff we want philosophy to do, it can't, but poetry can. Uh, the human condition, the, the, the explanations that, that philosophy often attempts to get involved in dealing with the state of life and being and what is real and what is truth and all these things. You know, most of the human so social sciences are coping with these questions, including philosophy. And all of them at, at one time or another have, have committed the crime of overreach, right? Getting too big for its britches, right? You know, it nearly destroyed poetry when they went all free verse. It made sense at the time, but we have to get back to verse structures now. It's 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 past. The, the, the way free verse might have felt some people feel free a generation ago, that's over now. Now, we, we better be trying to do a better job and, and we create more beauty from the language if we build it inside of a verse form structure that's that's formal and complex and demonstrates a reflective uh, vocabulary that's that's very high. I mean, you know, free verse is just a bad excuse to write a bad paragraph of prose, and and we can't live like that any longer. That that's it's past. Its benefits passed us decades ago, um, and there are similar things to be said about philosophy and explorations that philosophy went on that were red herrings uh, and now we're 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 becoming once more uh embraced by the stage where philosophy is is reestablishing its most basic questions of ontology of of the human condition of of virtue like the original plato dialogues and the writings of aristotle you know we're we're at a point especially after these uh, catastrophes where we don't have the luxury of, of playing stupid games anymore. Uh, that, t that time's past. I mean, all this nonsense, deconstruction, all this. No, we need to forget all that. Not to burn the books. I'm not advocating that. But it's time to let that go and leave it out. Its, it's, it's purpose has far, it, its existence has far exceeded the benefits of its purpose. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go into a very, very basic analysis. <clears throat> I want to start with an, the analysis of, of hyle. It's matter in Greek. It's called hyle. Is it or is it not conscious? And this is a tough question, so I'm going to have to first tell what consciousness isn't and what it is, because we live in a Newtonian universe now. Matter, of course, it's not conscious. We look at the, the matter around us and the soil, the rocks, the water. No, of course it's not. Well, but you see, it might be. And I can explain why, but only after I've explained why I don't mean consciousness in the traditional sense. You know, I don't mean that the rock is aware of being a rock and it perceives you. No, of course not. But it's aware enough of being a rock that it stays one if that makes any sense from the quantum physics level. They have better ways of saying it than I do from the philosophical, but I, I think it, the philosophy is still viable. Is matter conscious? And then, to dovetail from that question, if it, if it is directly connected or not, it might, be a, it might be too much of a connection to try to bridge these two, but I, I really want to. I want to see if it works. Because what I want to look into after that, an explication of matter, is to analyze the question of whether or not we're truly in a simulation. Whether or not, in fact, that this is just in, in a computer somewhere, we've created this world, it's in the matrix, in a sense, 
and we're living out our existence in a highly advanced and well-created simulated world. So maybe they'll, they'll be connected, but maybe not. I mean, I, I, I only want to go for now what, what it inspired me to go to. Although at some point I want to open things up more and with a better production value and start asking anybody, any of you who are out there and you can still stand listening to me to tell me what I should or to suggest what some of my topics ought to be. Maybe even to try to answer a few questions, which I reserve the right to fail at because we, we don't. We don't know what we don't know until we don't know it, ultimately. And then, I mean, what, what, what is philosophy? Well, I want to restore it, philosophy. It used to be an exalted science, and now it's a laughingstock and it's a joke. And I'm not telling you not to laugh at it. It's what it deserves, what they've done to it in the last hundred years. But I'd like to try to revive its, its, um, its, its value, the honorable place that it once held. This isn't, we're not talking about astrology, okay? It's fucking philosophy, okay? We, we don't need to so mangle it and destroy it that it no longer has any usefulness or anything else, including entertainment. It, it can no longer give us those things. That's, that's got to be reversed. That's got to be. Even in the face of psychology, uh, uh, phenomenology can still offer something. Even in the face of physics, it can still offer something. Even in the face of quantum physics uh, or, or advanced uh, biology and neurology, it can still offer something, even with these advanced, powerful sciences that we have. It can still find a place. I think it was Immanuel Kant who said, look, people are always going to be philosophers and they're always going to be metaphysicians. And he hated metaphysics. But he had to say, you know, there's th we're the place for religion in the world and metaphysics, these are the things that we cannot prove nor disprove uh, with arguments. Because the arguments are, are unsalvaged. They're unsolvable. You, you can't use structure of logic alone to analyze these things. But that doesn't mean that it, it should be entirely dismissed. I think maybe a lot in metaphysics, maybe that should be. But it used to be, well, too long ago to count. All of these things that we look at now, physics, mathematics, you know, the, the liberal arts, the seven liberal arts, rhetoric, all of these things, used to, even theology, all these things were once subsumed by philosophy. They were encompassed by philosophical discourse so that even our... Our early theologians. Why is it doing that? Alright. Sorry. Even our theologians, the theological speculation, they're philosophers. And of course there's another science that's that's gone, the science of religion. Unless you're a scholar of religion. Then you're using a scientific methodology. Um, but depending on what it is, re religion is one of these things that I have mixed feelings for, and it's tottering on the brink of its own dissolution, and it wouldn't maybe not always be a bad thing for the world if it went away, but in the, on the other hand, I don't want to deprive people of something that gives them great inspiration and great comfort and helps them build communities, and, and sometimes it's the vehicle for inspiration to do something great. And I don't want to rob anyone of that. So my goal, even even in this state, it's not to not to convince. I don't want to damage people, whatever journey that it is they're on. I don't have the right to usurp that journey for them, and to try to force anyone to agree with me. That's that's why, I, in a lot of ways, I'll come to their defense against secular persecution, even though I'm pretty much a a, a secular atheist myself, if one could call it that. Now, I still could be wrong. That might be humorous. But I don't like the way people are bullying in this culture, and I don't like to see people be picked on because of, of something very private and very personal to them, how they, how they view the world, how they participate in it, how they act. If the religion gives them something, I mean, I, I tend to argue that if there's good of it, it's good because that said human being already brought good and virtue into their religious, ex, you know, walk. 
into their religious exploration. But there's still enough there that I don't, I don't disrespect necessarily. Um, but it's changing. Its role in society is is becoming less and less important, and it's it's kind of interesting because the more the physician, the physicists try to solve problems of the universe. Why? Why is everything speeding up? What is the nature of matter? The further they explicate matter, it's as though God is retreating further and further away. God occupies the the pieces of the map that say, here be dragons, right? But at every turn, it's pushed back, and it's pushed back, and it's pushed back, because it has nothing to offer anymore. It has very little to offer that psychology can't offer, or that physics can't or that, you know, biology or neurology, all these things. Uh, and I'm not trying to say this out of a mean, out of meanness, but if you really want to embrace the idea of there's, be, there's no God, then you've got to know that God never retreated. He's never been there. There is not now, nor has there ever for one instant ever been. And that flies in the face of the phenomenological experiences of a lot of very wise and creative people. But the fact is, if, if God isn't there now, God never was. Never was. That was a sign of our maturity or our immaturity as a species. And now we're moving beyond it. And it should be allowed to develop naturally. I don't quite... I, I, to go in with a hammer and smash stuff, I just can't hold with that. I just can't. But I mean, in any case, so this, this question is an old ontological question about matter. What's it consistent of? Uh, the pre-Socratics had a whole bunch of speculations about this, all of which were apparently wrong, though not worthy of being forgotten. And I can sort of demonstrate that, hopefully by the end of this, I can show why that's, that's the case. Uh, for instance, in, the, in Aristotle's met Metaphysics, it opens up, uh, and he describes what the pre-Socratics thought the world consisted of. And they all picked one of the four elements. Uh, Empedocles said it was fire. Thales said it's water, etc. And that's that at the core of these things, at the, the material, is consistent of one pure element, you know, at its, at, its, at its core. And they're just using mathematics and geometry and observing the world around them to come up with these conclusions. They don't have electron microscopes. They don't have, you know, they don't have electron cameras and they don't have telescopes and they don't, they're not able to dig into the earth and get the fossils out of it or find the oil or, you know, use a seismograph. They have none of these things, nothing, zero. Yet they're still able to come up with stuff that is eerily accurate not quite in the way I think that they envisioned, but it's it's accurate, such that we we can't just dismiss the thinkers of yesterday. In fact, we would probably do very well to go back to the very beginning and to try to once again to examine the question of ontology. What it what is there? What is? We'd do well to, although Heidegger's goal was to destroy it. I'm not a huge fan of Heidegger. Uh, you wouldn't have philosophy today if you didn't have Heidegger. We, we have to give him his place in the, in the pantheon uh, while not succumbing to his flaws or his misdirections, misguidances. God knows. There was a lot of stuff he figured out that the fact that he figured it out changed, changed all of us forever. We can never go back to the way we were before that. And in any case, um, even though he wanted to destroy the old arguments of ontology, and he had his own ontology to try to replace it, uh, he was right to lead us back to the beginning. He was right to suggest, no, let's go back to the pre-Socratics, open them up, and think very, very carefully about what they were saying and what they were arguing, and how did their arguments go wrong, and, and try not to uh, remain trapped in the same cycle. So when I'm trying to take us back to to argue that matter is conscious, it used to be people assumed, nobody questioned whether or not it was alive. They knew that the dirt, they knew, I mean, they, they understood there was stuff that 
was more animated than other stuff. Uh, but it never would have occurred to them that it wasn't. The Newtonian cosmos would not have occurred even to the materialists. It wouldn't have occurred to them uh, that there's living and, and matter and there's non-living matter, but that somehow from the constitutions of non-living matter we're able to produce things that do live. And to me, just as a thinker, as a human being, I just, I can't make that leap. So that's why people say, well, that's proof. There's a God. That's proof. No. There's nothing. This doesn't need God to still function. So what's the answer? Well, uh, five billion years ago or whatever, three billion, however old this, this planet is. Uh, oh, well, it was panspermia. Okay, so in icebergs and falling rocks and planetoids and whatever the hell hit us the first billion years this planet existed, the planet was seeded by these things that came from elsewhere, you know? But the further back you go, you still come up with the same, the same starting point problem. How do you go from something that is not able to reproduce itself, that is not needing to sustain itself by eating other things, it's not dividing, it's not multiplying, it's not living out a span where it goes from, from living to non-living, we understand. But the same cell never died. I mean, so literally, if you go back far enough, the first cell, we're all made of cells that are the descendant of that first cell, which divided and began to differentiate itself, and it divided some more and some more and some more. How is that? I mean, it really, it, it's, it is miraculous. And, and we, we sort of understand that after a span of time, these cells use up their, their lifespan, and they go from being once living, that is, responding to its environment in the slightest way, and consuming, and dividing, and whatever it is living things do that make us want to look at them and say, that's a living thing. Uh, the first cell never died, because variants of that cell copied and copied, and now, it you know, after five billion years, it's, of course it's differentiated, and it's evolved, and it's uh, it's found ways to complex, make itself increasingly complex until we have these complicated organisms called human beings who are self-aware. And, and so we always will question, what is there? Consciousness is. At the core of everything, there's consciousness in terms of our phenomenological experiences. And that's well, the why are we here question. It, it, how did we get here? I mean, the, we don't even know. The most simple question, well, where did we come from? Why are we here? Some of them we have the answers for, but we don't like the answer, and it's unsatisfactory. And I suppose it should be unsatisfactory. We should keep looking and questioning. Now, the, the ancient Greeks definitely believed that whatever matter is, is called hyle or hule or something to that effect. It's a Greek word, and all it means is, is stuff, dross, mud, muck, shit. That's all. It's just, it's the lowest level of, of material that were it not for uh, the consciousness of matter, it, it would be unworthy of, of being examined at all. We walk in the mud. But for the ancient Greeks, everything was, and I don't mean by alive, animist. I don't mean, in the early days, one uh, theory of religion states that, and it's an old one, and probably largely discredited and misguided, but maybe not, where uh, primitive tribesmen, people who haven't really been assimilated into the modern world as we know it, they view everything as not just, not only is the stuff alive, it's imbued with, with spirits and with souls and, and with stuff that the tribesmen figured out that they could interact with and they could try to make a, a, a covenant with themselves in the world if they give an offering to the god of lightning. Maybe the storms won't be as severe, right? If they sacrifice something to the volcano, maybe it won't erupt this year, maybe it won't bury us in molten lava. Because in a sense, they, they understood that everything requires something to sustain it. Everything does. And, and something even like fire. They would have foreseen these things as... as um, having a kind of rudimentary form of consciousness. Now, now modern physicists call this panpsychism. 
And the reason I keep going back to this, and I'll, I'll continue to explain what it's not, what consciousness isn't, in order to try to isolate what it, what it is. Uh, panpsychism, it, to me, is, is a reasonable explanation. Because again, you're, you cannot tell me that out of randomness, the randomness is too huge, and this is the argument of theists, you cannot tell me that out of all those possibilities, and it's such a tiny, insignificant possibility of the cell creating itself from non-living matter, and it starts to divide because lightning hit a mud puddle four billion years ago. And they're right. They, that, they're right. Now, what is it? So some of us might avoid the question by saying, well, it was seeded from a comet. It came from another planet. Well, it had to start on that other planet somehow, too. And at one point, there was a planet full of nothing that became a planet full of life. How do you do that? If you mix these things up in a tube, it's going to react. You can create sodium chloride from, you know, uh, sodium, magnesium. I mean, you, you, these things, if you put them in proximity, they're going to change what they are and they're going to react. But that one wouldn't look at that and instinctively say that's live um, because its reaction is very predictable. And, and very, very simplistic. Yeah, but, but yet everything that's in our bodies, these same chemical reactions are occurring. A lot of cases, living things had to invent enzymes to break things down, to catalyze, to, to catalyze the reactions, because in the center of a star, it's one thing. But how do these little living things create enough energy to do this? And what are we basically? Our nervous system is made of, of little cells that use electricity to communicate with one another and to, to construct awareness of reality, it's from electricity. It's from the, all even the neurotransmitters that we place so much stock in as they flood our brains. Fact is, we're electric. We're like little electric creatures. It's a very minute and weak signal, but it's a signal nonetheless. This, this brain that we marvel at, that we still don't understand its secrets, it's like an electrical ecosystem of itself. There's different cycles that when these nerves come online and come offline or when they fire, they have different metabolic reactions that changes the firing rate of these neurons. Some pieces in the brain go to sleep and they shut down and they wake up the next day. We don't, we don't know. I mean, we, we, they're trying and they're smarter than me. So they must have something in their knowledge tree that allows for an explanation of this. But the truth is, still no one knows. Nobody really understands. No one knows. Now, in the middle of stars, we think their fusion reaction, um, the mainstream science says that our universe is made from fusion. Ultimately, at its core, everything starts and ends with stars. But I'm not so sure... Uh, just to me again, this this seems to this doesn't seem quite to be enough for me to be satisfied because if non-living matter can become living matter, why wouldn't stars have a, a kind of life of their own, a consciousness? You know, how is it how is it that you can get something from nothing? Now, we know in, in a nuclear furnace, assuming that's what they are, and that they're not electrical or plasma, 99% of the matter in this universe is plasma. It's not solid liquid or gaseous, it's, it's plasma. It's, it's highly charged, very superheated, highly energized particles of stuff that, that perhaps has a life in some sense. Because you can't derive something from nothing, you can't. And that's really, the, the religious people will say, well, no, that's where God stands, because God initiated that, even if evolution is real. God is outside of time. God doesn't need evolution. He's both all times and none. And instantaneous, that's eternal and infinite and everlasting. And if he wants to say, you know, mud cells start dividing and eating each other, okay, they're going to do it, however he built it. And as an aside, it's, it struck me as an irony that the scientists who are so adamant about destroying religion believe in the Big Bang. And I tell you that the Big Bang and Genesis 1 are identical. 
and yet they don't none of them acknowledge this and i don't understand why there are better ways to argue religion against non-religion and science there are better ways to do it than the way people are articulating now uh there be more mysterious more poetic more illuminating reasons and ways to express the premises and the arguments but they don't genesis 1 is perfect and immutable and literal and yet it's the exact same damn thing that the big bang is in in physics it is where you had a nothing a whole lot of nothing maybe you had a whole lot of nothing infinitely then there was a mighty flash from this particle that's called the god particle because we don't know what it is and at the beginning of the universe all of the energy was compressed into something the size of an electron or a quark or some damn thing and in ways that we don't understand and probably never will it forged itself not just into existence, but into multitudes of differing states and energy levels of matter, high energy, low energy, uh, you know, plasma, superheated gas and plasma, solidifying into to gas, liquids, and solids. And then, you know, the planet's filled with fire. Our planet's filled with molten lava on the inside. And we have the sun warming the planet on the outside. You know, uh, and, and so you're, you're, you're going to tell me that uh, all these reactions can be traced back to star, even some of the elements in our bodies. It, without stars, you wouldn't have some of these elements. And so, when we burn wood, well, the wood was living and now is non-living, and you burn the wood, you release the heat and the energy that it stored as a form of heat and light, and it, you burn it up, and you get a nice warm fire. Uh, but we, we don't accept that fire is alive. Because it's like a, an oxidative, deconstructive reaction in many ways. But in living beings, every living being, matter is being broken down and reconstituted in one synthesis or another. But that's also what stars are theorized to be doing, hydrogen to helium. And in the center of these stars, you have more elements that fit right on the periodic table. They go up and up and up. It's fusing, it's cre recreating matter. And it's living off of its, its, its supply of matter in the center that's supernuclearized and slowly changing into something else why wouldn't that how is it that that star we think of it as non-living but the cells in our body and our brains are and the same magnetic energy that the sun puts out across all the way to the end of our solar system a massive amount of energy in the solar wind and doesn't the brain the brain does it at room temperature the brain does it because all these chemicals make it a little easier for the brain to do it. That's what the neurotransmitters are. There are mediums. The cell uses the neurotransmitters the same way that our batteries have a positive and negative charge. But a battery's not alive because, again, that's de a deconstituted, a deconstructive process, not, not a, complexing, a more complex, vivifying process and so what am i what am i trying to say uh when i say matter is conscious i can't i'm not saying that it's alive and you could communicate with it we we equate being alive with being conscious and being alive in a narrow-minded understanding of it that we have something it 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 feeds itself it protects itself it it multiplies sexual or asexual reproduction and it has offspring and it needs to to nourish it needs you know f fuel it needs to breathe it needs there's so many things that it needs to do in order to be something alive that matter doesn't but we use alive and conscious as interchangeable anything that's alive would have to be conscious or anything that's conscious is probably alive and etc uh i don't mean matter is animated the way primitive tribesmen believed imbued with a spirit uh, you can make a propitiation, whatever, to the mountain, and the mountain will be good to you. But they genuinely thought all these things were living, uh, as far as they could understand living. Um, I don't mean that. I don't mean uh, that that the matter that makes up our universe can be communicated with by us. Okay, I don't. I don't mean to say that the non-living stones, rocks, ice, whatever it is, 
that that appears to be non-living to us. I'm not saying that it is per se alive. Um, I'm I'm saying this because if it weren't alive or didn't have some capacity for consciousness, then nothing else living or conscious should be the derivation of its reactions. It's not possible. It's it's not. It's not possible. So that means one of two things. It means that there maybe there is a God, and he has imbued, he, she, it, imbued once non-living mud uh, with a spark of his own life force and brought it into into life. That's not necessarily what I mean either. Uh, does is there a phenomenological experience for a rock? You know, no, of course not. The rock, even if it is constructed of something that well, maybe a better way to put it is proto-conscious. That in some manner these materials have something that predisposes them towards being alive. So when I'm speaking of matter, I don't mean that it's alive, even if I call it conscious, panpsychism. But it has to have something in it that gives it the capacity to go from being something that's non-reactive, non-living, or non-conscious, or whatever it is, to being conscious. And then after a period of time, it loses its life essence uh, and, and returns to the state of whatever, pre-proto, whatever it is, life and death. Uh, since it's possible for the cessation of life to occur, uh, and we know this, and then, you know, after that transition, it's gone. But that doesn't give us the ability to solve the original problem, which is from whence did these cells derive, these living things, from how did they derive themselves from... It can go one way, because that's uh, an entropy. It's losing energy, it's losing life. Okay. But how did that ever process ever begin? And it's a long chain. And as I said, it even some scientists, I can't cite them, I'm not looking at their work at the moment because I want to try to yammer this out from my own head. We know that in our ecosystems, things that are living end up no longer living. And in almost all cases, they become consumed by some other creature, and they can give that creature energy to live. All of, where did, all of that energy originated in the sun. All of it. All of the, the, everything on this earth is fueled by that star. If you removed our orbits from the star, life would cease as we know it. Maybe it would hold out for a while in thermal vents way under the sea, but, you know, at some point, if there's no more energy coming into the system, it will cease to be. Um, the soil of Mars, which may or may not have ever harbored life or lichen or creatures, plants, whatever they are, or the moon. We can, we can look at these things that have never held life in them. And we, th there's a lot of elements that life creates that we have down here on the earth. If you tried to seed the soil on the moon, let's, let's say we, would it live or wouldn't it? Would we have to ship up fertilized earth from, from the earth to have a Mars, a field on Mars or a, a, a garden on the moon? Because that soil on its own I doubt has enough of the nutrients that living things need to, to eat to survive. It couldn't sustain simple plants. But at some point, our Earth was made of that same stuff. The moon is a piece of the Earth. And we know that soil can't, can't bring itself into living, into being, into being conscious. Because it hasn't happened, or we've never detected it. Now, So, either God sparked it, or it was uh, seeded from someplace else. But there's no escaping the fact that in the universe, at one time, there was a time when, as far as we know it, nothing was alive. Really? The, the particle, the, the, the gas clouds expanding, well, they're not alive. Well, the, the stars, well, they're not alive. It's, it's gravity, the sheer force of gravity that causes stars to have these fusion reactions because there's so much energy in the gravity and there's so much energy in the star you know but it's still non-living and, and for billions of years nothing was living until one fine day the sun came up and 
from a place, a puddle on the earth, when there was nothing, suddenly there was something, some sort of algae-like thing that was trying to grow and to reproduce and to prosper. I don't buy that. So they try to escape it by saying, well, panspermia. But that, that doesn't, that's not an argument. That's just saying, well, if we don't know where it came from here on the earth and nothing seems to make logical, rational sense, then it had to have come from a comet. It had to have come from somewhere else. And they like to talk about the minerals necessary for life. Your carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen, iron, uh, these different minerals, uh, they were present in the comet, and the comet hit the earth, and there was so much energy on the earth, lightning and f the force of stuff hitting the earth, and fire and magma and all this stuff, that, that it brought itself into existence? No. It, no. No. So, you might suggest that it's panspermia, but that's not an argument. Because still, the further back you go, there had to be a period at some point when nothing was alive that made that transition. Or, it was always alive, or conscious. And it, see, see how I interchange them. I can barely control myself to do that. That, in a way it was conscious already through its capacity or through its actuality. It, it had something there harbored in it, in matter itself, at the core of it. Maybe that's what the quantum physicists are trying to figure out with these different particles. They can be in two places at once. They can, I mean, they've only just begun to scratch the surface of the mysteries. But if that's just held in non-living mud and stuff, then it doesn't make sense. You, you cannot wake something up that was never asleep to begin with unless it's either in the matter or it's in the stars because wouldn't that change our 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 perspective if we say well everything derives from these stars the stars engage in fusion reactions the same way as living cells do uh it reproduces itself in a way um we would need to reconsider them as, as being something that's alive, that's conscious. Now, what do I mean by consciousness? You might accuse me of playing a game of semantics now, and you might not be truly wrong, but uh, if we are going to embrace panpsychism, then we've got to suggest that stars are themselves conscious. Now, I don't mean self-aware. I mean, well, even the bacteria had to have had some semblance of self-awareness because it knew what to eat and what not to eat to sustain itself. How? Was that conscious? Don't know. So if you assemble enough differing cells that have different tasks in a living body and you pump it full of enzymes and hormones and all these other things, that these conscious or unconscious cells create a being like you or me that is conscious. It can't be. It cannot be. The building blocks from it have to have it, or else you can't get it. It's, it's just, it just can't be done. It can't. So it would radically revolutionize our understanding of matter, um, where we acknowledge that at some point the source for life was in those stars. We don't know how. And the Big Bang. I, I don't know how defensible it is, but I believe as the older philosophers did... In a steady state, they call it a steady state universe. And among other reasons why I think it's a steady state universe is because if there were validity in the Big Bang, the so-called Big Bang, why would it happen once and never again? We should be finding smaller examples of this anywhere we can find them in the universe. Uh, now, granted, our technology is very limited and we're only scratching the surface of it. But it has to be acknowledged. It has to be. There is no conceivable, rational way, which is why the religious people always bring this argument out. You cannot, you can't, right? Oh, well, from, from quartz and felspar and volcanic dust in a mud puddle, a lightning hit it just so, and bzzz. No, I'm sorry, no. And, and 
you know, we, we might be able to look at viruses. And we're in the midst of a pandemic now. Let's look at viruses. Are they alive? No, they're crystals. They're not alive. They can't reproduce themselves without a host that they parasitize. It can't. It's just, it's inert. It's inert until it can cut its way into a cell and bury itself in the center of the nuclei of that cell and demand that the cell begin creating proteins that sustain more viruses and spreads the virus. Uh, it, is it alive? Well, we do have to kill the cells that it has harbored. Are we killing the cells that harbor the virus, or are we killing the virus when we speak of taking antiviral medication? Because all it's doing is disrupting the chains of reactions in the cell in the RNA to prevent it from copying itself. Now, where did they come from? Who knows? Really, who knows? But they're not, strictly speaking, alive. But maybe, because as soon as you introduce a virus into a cell, it starts to replicate itself. It needs to be in a living system to wake up and to become living. How did the virus know to do that? See, how could there just be, coincidentally, uh, a, cr a bunch of protein crystals that get into another cell or a living being or whatever, and they have a, a, a joyous time replicating themselves? It just, it can't be. It just, it can't. So... Back to God. No, I'm not going to concede that. I'm not going to go back to God. Uh, I'm going to go back to that any and all matter, however we may use it or interact with it, at its core has something about it that renders it conscious. And maybe the only way I can measure the consciousness of it is to say that it's enough to sustain itself against overwhelming force, and it wants to stay like that. It's kind of a, a trick of language, but for most of human existence, they've either been animistic or, or they believed in some kind of theory where the metals and minerals and things are in the womb of the earth under the ground. That's why you have to mine them. And these things grow in the earth. The alchemists thought they were recreating the conditions in the earth that allow these different minerals to grow and to evolve up the ladder. That's what the retort is. They're literally, they're trying to recreate the center of the planet to nurture these things. They're trying to make gold. Uh, to nurture these things, they need to have a really hot fire. They need to have different minerals that are on the chain of, of development. In order to reach gold, you need to go through these other, other planets. You know, but, but Young created a, a reconstruction of this and suggests... Uh, that it's the life and the evolution of the alchemist that matters, not the stuff. That they, they, although they can't create gold, uh, they are creating gold in their hearts, and their heart is, is evolving from the dross. So we, we already instinctively grasp this uh, idea. Well, there has to be somebody tending the, the, the fire, right? That there must be something, there must be God outside of time, it can't be. Okay, it, 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 it simply can't. Well, there's a design that it's... Uh, the proof of a designer is, look how well-designed all these things are. You know, look at me. Uh, and I can sympathize with that view. But the alternative, what's the alternative? Any and all matter, whatever its state of being, plasma, solid, liquid, gaseous, or some state beyond which we, we, we have yet discovered on the quantum level, if these things did not have something conscious, then nothing consciousness should exist. Nothing. Nothing. Yet it does. Why? Why does it? You can't, you cannot convince me that iron oxidation, free radicals, all these things, if it's rusting out, you know, a, a, an abandoned car in a junkyard, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that a living being would do a similar thing to that iron so that cells could, could breathe. The iron carries the oxygen, it's oxidized, it's blah, blah, blah. It's delivered to the cells, they reproduce, they multiply, they live. They're conscious enough in that they're conscious of being the cell that they are. So, the cells in your stomach know what they are. They know their stomach cells, and they reproduce accordingly. And they behave, more importantly, they behave in the manner most 
advantageous to the human stomach so that it can digest food. So it's not just even that they may have consciousness on a rudimentary level in order to know what they are, but they have the consciousness to understand their role in, in a living ecosystem such that they don't violate that limited space that they occupy. They have no regard for their own lives. Cells destroy themselves all the time. All the time. But it knows enough that it has to destroy itself if things go wrong and it becomes a cell that's runaway division. That's cancer. That's when these cells come to life and want to do what is most advantageous for them, it's cancer. When they're interacting with the organism within their assigned field, I don't mean that there was an assigner, but that they are within the limits of what they are, uh, then that's altruistic. They don't place themselves ahead of the organism. But there has to be some rudimentary level in those cells of consciousness. And if th in that case, it, it would be self-aware. How do the cells know if I eat a hamburger or an ice cream or something? The difference between these things. And it, it breaks them down perfectly in such, such that the body can most benefit from it. How do they know this? They shouldn't know this. They, they ought not know it, but they do. Oh, well, after five billion years, there's enough, enough random... Thing, uh, no. The only way to defeat religious arguments is, is that we may need to take that next step into panpsychism, wherein we, we can't quite understand it, how it's harboring life in itself, the same way a virus harbors life. But these things do as well. We, we may never come to understand. But it would change our worldview and our science. And so, then we would have to say that any and all matter anywhere in the universe is conscious of itself such that it maintains itself as best it, as best it can, in all cases, against all the forces of this universe. That that matter, within its electrons or whatever the hell it is now, harbors consciousness. Otherwise, you couldn't build it. And it's true that critical mass tends to enhance consciousness. I mean, at least they understand in lower animals. The more complex the brain, the bigger the brain, the more likely they're sentient. They're more likely they're self-aware totally as, as we humans are. Completely. But then again, why are we at the apex predator? How is it that, that we're the apex consciousness? There might be stuff out there we don't understand that, that, that is also alive. Look at the lifespan of a star almost resembles metaphorically to the to all the way down the line the life cycle of a living entity of a living creature and yet very few would agree with me and say no no the star is conscious yeah it's conscious because it maintains itself according to its lifespan for the sole purpose of what i don't know because stars can't communicate their purpose with us or we with them but what it certainly does is it it fuels this planet full of energy that everything on this planet living needs to draw from in order to sustain itself. It's from energy. It's from energy. And at the very core of things, even the minerals and the cells that make up our body and the proteins, these things had some kind of rudimentary existence at the beginning of time if there was a Big Bang because matter conserves. Conservation of matter. And so what would it mean if it were a steady-state universe? Which it is. You would have cyclical expansions, contractions, expansions, uh, contractions, where all the matter, which can't necessarily be destroyed, must return to its source and then erupt outward again. We don't know, scientists don't know, well, what happened before the Big Bang? Was there an infinite time of infinity and nothing? And suddenly from nowhere, the Big Bang rips itself into existence from nothing. Creation ex nihilo, only there's no God to do it, it just did it on its own. Really? Really. <laughs> and I say, I say, no. No. And they, they think now that they've begun to figure out why all of our planets and stars and galaxies... Why are they moving away from themselves at an increasingly rapid rate? 
Why? Oh, well, there must be dark energy and dark matter. I've said before, there is no such thing as dark energy or dark matter. It is a placeholder. Uh, but they think they've figured out now that our universe is constructed asymmetrically. According to the disposition of the matter and the energy in the universe, it's asymmetric. It's not a sphere of, of universe expanding outwards into infinity. And hence the, the, the unpredictable part of the equations, the speed at which galaxies and stars and planets are flying away from one another, is indicative of a lopsided universe not of one that has these strange energies in it. Oh, because by the way, I mean, look, if I told you that, uh, you know, like in that movie, I don't even think I've seen the whole movie, okay? But I've got a friend. I've got a giant bunny rabbit for a friend. But I'm the only one who can see him, feel him, touch him, talk to him, etc. You can't, right? I have an imaginary friend uh, that talks to me whenever I'm lonely, Yeah, but it can't be detected at all, ever, by any measurement ever, yet it exists. We'd block someone up like that, wouldn't we? <laughs> we, we, we would, we'd commit you for that. But yet, that, that's kind of what the religions say. We have an invisible, and the same with the dark materialists, right? Dark matter, dark energy. Well, we can't see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, or, or store it. Uh, we, we, we can't detect it. We can detect the results of it, so they say, they're wrong, uh, because of the behavior of electrons or whatever, that the results of the dark matter can be detected in the behavior of these particles, but it's in itself can't be detected. Well, it sure is detected by these particles because they're reacting to it. No. <laughs> if we have a lopsided universe with an uneven distribution of energy, that's probably... Energy we can see and interact with, I mean. I don't mean dark energy. Dark energy is the zero in the, in the first column in the math problem. It's a placeholder. It is. Because I'm never going to believe that this dark matter, which we can't inter interface with at all, or recreate, burn, interact with, interfere with, blah, 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 that nothing from nothing is speeding up our universe, so therefore it has to be something. No. I, I, we're going to need to revise a lot of these, you know, string theory. Come, what a, what a, what a bunch of bullshit that is. Uh, we're going to need to reform and revise a lot of our, our understandings of things in order to accommodate for the fact that it is not there. There is no dark matter. There is no dark energy. Because if there were, it would have been detectable or detected. And there would be some means of using the atom smasher or whatever to continue to break things down into smaller and smaller and smaller bits. At the core of it, it's energy. And there's some physicists who determine that after a certain point, you don't have matter anymore, you have energy. Well, if I superheat the minerals in the hottest thing in the universe ever and turn it into plasma, yeah, that, <laughs> that is energy. And that, you know, so, so what, what are we to, to say? Um, we would need to suggest that all matter, maybe on the, on the chain of transmission, it's not at a complex enough level yet to become useful by a living being. But as long as there are fusion reactions in these stars and, and, and supernovae and whatever the hell else, pulsars, whatever, whatever they are, this is going to be an expansion of, of life. That, that the source of these things is energy, like is the source of the material that makes us up, that makes up our matter. At the, at the very core, we're energy. Well, if it weren't the case, why do we need neurons that, that use electricity to communicate in order to build our perception? Why didn't they use something else? Why do they have to use electricity and energy? Why is that? The heart is electric. The brain is electric. There are little tiny amounts of magnetic electrical fields in all of our cells that's electric that helps nourish them and sustain them and keep them alive. The only, the only acceptable solution to this problem is to, uh, to embrace the idea that all matter is conscious or has consciousness embedded in its form in some manner, 
it's more likely that that is the case than that from non-living matter, something living was created from something not because of a bunch of bolts of energy uh, or, or, you know, if we, if we smash enough atoms together, well, at the very core, they're energy too. And so we're, we're plasma, we're beings of energy or some higher form of energy than plasma that has changed its phase states and, and slowed down across whatever, millennia, billions of millennia to create these living organisms. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty cool. And if I understand Einstein, uh, he eventually determined, if I understand what little I understand of him right, that if you speed up matter to the speed of light itself, it would become light in itself. Because at the core of everything, everything in this universe, there's, there's energy. It's made of energy. It's, it harbors energy embedded in itself, in its crystallization. There's something there. Something there. And I think the only way there can be consciousness is if whatever that something is that's there is predisposed or already is conscious. Right? Uh, most of the stuff that we interact with in our world that we make our furniture from, and these things were alive once already. It was, they were the trees before the trees were cut down. The tree knew it was a tree in so far as whatever it did in order to sustain itself as a tree was most beneficial for it to sustain itself as a tree. Therefore, it knew it had some kind of knowledge and in, in, in sentience, not in a way that we can understand really, but it had something in it. And we cut the tree down and we make railing out of it or whatever. I'm not telling you the railing is, is aware of you standing on the porch or that you can talk to it or, you know, whatever. But because it was once alive, we need to harbor the idea that there's the potential for consciousness in this. It, it's already been conscious once already. Uh, but I think I've exhausted this argument for now. And I'm going to read up the books that I didn't allow myself to read and uh, look back on this hopefully someday and, and laugh. And th this can be a demonstration of, of my progress as a thinker. Uh, I need to allow for vulnerability. That would add tension to this whole thing and it would, it would allow for there to be a yardstick to measure growth by. Yeah. So this is uh, an unstructured speculative uh, period of uh, time that we have now so I'm going to for the moment sign out and come back to start talking about the simulation I'm doing the same thing I'm not I found books on it I've read little stuff here and there uh, I'm going to do the same type of thing with the simulation are we in one that's what the next episode will be so for now I'm amazed you've listened to me thank you it's fantastic um I hope all is well in this time of, of trial. This, that's what we're in, but we're all in it together. And by the time you're listening to this, we're probably already, it's falling away in the rearview mirror. And, and it's, it's becoming something you read about in a history book and not something you live in the middle of and are terrified as it's happening. But in other words, perhaps even between now, this time of the recording, and the time that this is uploaded onto the net and the time that you listen to us, it might be years, actually. It might be 10 or 20 years after this fact. Um, but all is not lost. It's, it's, it's terrible, it's tragic, I'm not minimizing it. But all is not, all is not lost. We're going to figure out a way to ingeniously and constructively get through this and benefit from what we've learned from it. So if you're as scared as me or if you're feeling isolated, because I've, I've effectively been locked down since last March, L literally, just I don't leave. I don't leave this room or this home very much to do anything. We all share this in common, this, this, uh, this attempt for us to remain safe by isolating and, and being imprisoned by... by at first by the COVID-19, 
but increasingly so we're becoming limited and imprisoned by the incompetence of our politicians and our the, the scientists have done this beautiful work and the politicians are paying them back by screwing up the distribution not giving out enough of it to help people you know it it should be a slap in the face to every one of these people who literally saved our lives by creating this vaccine. And and we owe them more than a bunch of bumbling, stupid, uh, bungle tree, uh, people dying because there aren't enough vaccines being given out in this particular instant in a haphazard way. We don't need that. So I hope people come to their senses uh, and that when you hear this, you're through the worst of it as I am. And to try to recall and remember that there's hope, there's still reason for optimism, there's still a chance, there's still a chance. So for now, I'm going to sign off for this. Thank you again for listening, and we will meet again under the shadow of the lily. My boy, that's pure speculation. One would wonder. 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 One would wonder.